Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Just that traffic update. State Highway 1 Pokono due to a truck crash on State Highway 1 Waikato Expressway after State Highway 2 interchange. The right southbound lanes are blocked, so do expect delays through this area and past that scene with care. First up on the program, the panel. Former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern will give her valedictory speech at 5.30pm this afternoon and will leave Parliament likely forever. Ardern became one of the world's most well-known politicians in the world at one stage, earning the Stardust moniker, cover of Time magazine, the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa, lit up with the image of Jacinda Ardern. There's a first. Things turned over time. She did come to be a divisive figure in Aotearoa. This is Jacinda Ardern on child poverty in her maiden speech in 2008. These children are not part of an underclass, as I've heard them be called. They are part of our community, and we have a responsibility to continue the momentum of the last Labour government and to finally rid ourselves of poverty in Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is our collective challenge. That's Ardern back in 2008, so what will be her legacy? You'll have views on that. Text me to 101. Did she achieve what she wanted to do? Historian Professor Michael Balgrave is from Massey University. He has a book tentatively titled Us, A History of New Zealand, coming out this year. Professor Balgrave, kia ora. Kia ora. So the big names, Norm Kirk, Rob Muldoon, David Longy, where will Jacinda Ardern be in the big picture? Well, as a historian, we always like a bit of distance. We like to separate <laughs> ourselves just to see what happens afterwards. I think it depends on what, what we want to judge it by. If we're looking at one's ability to project New Zealand onto an international stage, then I don't think um, David Longy comes close. I think she's really been mm. extremely successful in doing that, uh, or Peter Fraser for that matter either. Gosh, you point to her election victory in 2020 as a hallmark? Well, she managed to achieve more than 50% in an MMP environment. Now, admittedly, it was a weak opposition at the time. She was riding on her success. Um, but that really is a major political achievement for somebody, uh, any, any politician today. Right. Are you there, Michael? Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, the Professor Paul Spoonley said, we'll come to our panel very shortly, but he made the point that the, the, the social cohesion through much uh, of the way through the pandemic was international, by international standards extraordinarily high. You know, one can recall the chalk drawings on fences, teddy bears, windows, the be kind slogan. I mean, it was quite rare in the world. People may look back and study that and over time associate the leadership of Jacinda Ardern with that style of communication uh, early in the pandemic? I don't think it's just her style of communication. I think right from the beginning in the mosque attack, what she does, most women politicians have to prove that they're more male than their male politicians, prime ministers. Uh, what What she did is she took things like compassion, caring, empathy, and she took those as hallmarks. Um, so taking things that you associate more with women than men and made them really significant. 
and gave New Zealand that particular edge that I, I think that no other country at that part of the pandemic did as well, listened to the science uh, and did it timely and did it in a way that brought people with her. Do you want to respond to any of that, Sue Bradford? Um, well, I think that um, what Michael's saying is really true. As I, as no, you've dropped about, out. About it's... Extraordinary skills and empathy. Um, it's are you there? Yep, keep going, Sue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that for me, where Jacinda Ardern really fell down, and it it's, comes out in that speech she quoted from in two thousand and eight, when she talked about ridding the country of poverty, and in two thousand and seventeen, she was really focused on child poverty. But Labor's actions on housing and welfare have just have not hit the mark at all. They've They've just been so far behind the eight ball for the whole period that Jacinda Ardern was Prime Minister that it's really quite tragic. Um, despite latter-day efforts to try and patch things up a bit, um, the housing situation on its own for the people without housing um, is, is entrenching, again, um, intergener intergenerational poverty at a level that we really haven't seen since, I think, since the 1930s. It's a fairly damning indictment there, Sue Bradford, on uh, what you're saying there. Can we put that squarely, though, at the foot of Jacinda Ardern? Oh, of course it's not. It's not. It's never one person. It's her government. But, of course, she played a leading role in that government. And I, and I could never help wonder, like, why, why, how she could have all this compassion, which, which I believe is real and good honour, with, with how she handled COVID and how she handled the mosque attacks. I mean, it, it's very real, but how you can have that level of compassion but not have it for the people down the road in your, in your local neighbourhood who have no food to eat, who do not have enough to, to money to live on. Every week they do not have enough money to live on. People who are, have nowhere to live tens and tens of thousands of them and, and to take no effective action to deal with that. I, it. It's a conundrum to me how Labour, with Jacinda as a key part of it, has not been able to confront and deal with that. OK, so Sue Bradford not particularly impressed there. Stay there, um, Professor Balgrave. Let's bring Nick Leggett in. Yes, I'm interested to know, Professor Belgrave, the Jacinda's Jacinda inspired great levels of devotion and she inspired great levels of attack and hate towards the end. And I wonder, in your view, is that a result of the fact that uh, of who she is or is it just these polarised times that we live in or is it both? I, well, I think it's always a bit of both, but I mean, I think, I think we, we're suffering a major threat to our democracy, to our rights. You were talking about this before four uh, our sense of um, of uh, uh, you know a small democracy. Those politics of hate um, did manage to actually go a bit wider, thanks to the to the mandate. So a group of people who probably wouldn't think those things became excluded because of the mandates, which did did sort of accelerate or or expand that sense of grievance in that area. But I just wanted to comment on, on Sue's thing. I think we've actually got a bigger problem in New Zealand. It's not just the inability of a government that wanted to do things to perform. But I think we've sort of got some structural problems in the way that MMP and the civil service and the state work, which make it actually very difficult for major change to be undertaken. Um, and that goes back to the reforms that we did in the 1980s, which was supposed to make everything more efficient and more effective. 
but it does make it very difficult for a reform government to actually achieve much without doing substantial things to things like tax rates in particular. Do, do you not think, Professor, that the politicians of today were also scarred by what they saw and the stories they've heard about the impact of those reforms in the 80s as well? Um, I, I think that we we ran away from the drama of the 80s and 90s, wanted stability, wanted... Yes. Um, wanted a lack of dramatic change, and MMP was one of the ways of achieving that. But that degree of stability makes it actually quite difficult to bring in the kind of reforms that Labour was wanting to do. And, of course, we had Winston as a partner, and Winston acted as, you know, the term handbrake was used on those reforms. COVID comes in. But I actually think there's something bigger that needs to be addressed in New Zealand about how we affect big change. Because in the past... We've managed to produce the houses. We've managed to produce the infrastructure. We've done it with a state that was supposedly inefficient, but uh, it seems much more difficult to do now. Very good to get your perspective, Michael. Thank you for being uh, with us on the panel. That is historian Professor Michael Balgrave from Massey uh, University there on, I guess, the legacy of former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Fairly nuanced there. Uh, Sue Bradford uh, uh, is not. Well, well, out of t- Do you want to give um, uh, Jacinda's uh, team uh, being brilliant uh, or fantastic one being poor, what you give her, uh, Sue? Uh, uh, eight. I mean, I think she was a great prime minister for this country. Yeah. Nick, five. I was never a huge fan, but I. But equally, I. I've never despised Jacinda either. I think she she led the country really well during COVID. But I, you know, I have similar interests in 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 reducing child poverty, and I just I. I've been disappointed at the the real change that she's been able to affect there. We know how this can be done in many cases, and it just hasn't materialised. Okay. A five for Nick Leggett, an eight for Sue Bradford, 18 past four. The panel, RNZ National, the Reserve Bank has surprised by raising the official cash rate by 50 basis points to 5.25%. The RBNZ raised uh, to 5.25, another 50 um, uh, percentage increase, more than anyone expected. It takes the benchmark rate to its highest level since late 2008. The Reserve Bank said in a statement today it's still too... Inflation is still too high and persistent, and employment is beyond its maximum sustainable level. With us is Brad Olson, the principal economist for Infometrics. Uh, kia ora, Brad. Kia ora. So, to, cap- uh, to summarise, one tweet said, Get ready, Middle New Zealand, we're about to get screwed. Thoughts? Well, I, I think in a sense um, that we were already on that pathway. The Reserve Bank has declared war on inflation uh, and it's not happy with the battle as it's currently running. It thought it needed to deploy some more resources and it's done that. And, and I think importantly, uh, the Reserve Bank this year has been talking a big game. They've been saying that inflation's too high, but they haven't been getting enough traction. Uh, back in February, they raised the official cash rate by 50 basis points they didn't see any change in retail rates. And today in their statement, they highlighted that wholesale rates, which do affect uh, the mortgages that people pay, they'd actually fallen. Uh, And the Reserve Bank said, look, we're trying to get inflation under control. If we see interest rates that start to fall back, we're going to lose the game here. And so they wanted to push a lot harder. Uh, at At the moment, though, I think realistically what you have 
uh, is the Reserve Bank saying to financial markets, saying to the, the retail banks, it's time to put up or shut up. Uh, because inflation's still too high and the Reserve Bank will not be the organisation that blinks first. Uh, okay, so we've had uh, 10 OCR interest rate increases. Today was the 11th. Um, uh, what, what next? Well, the question I think for the Reserve Bank is they want to see some evidence that inflation is starting to come under control. They don't want to take their foot off the brake. Uh, and I think, you know, we look through some of the indicators. We've seen job numbers in January and February this year both increase higher and higher. We've seen spending data out today from Worldline that showed that spending is now 8.3% higher than a year ago. Yeah. With inflation running at seven, just over 7%, there's still a real increase in the amount of cash getting out there into the economy. The Reserve Bank just doesn't have that feeling yet that they've got inflation under control. But... Uh, the risk at the moment is that the bank is, is clearly running into a position where it could do too much uh, because by the time all of these interest rates actually go through and households refix on a higher mortgage rate, uh, it could well be that those interest rates effectively become too high. Yes, indeed. I can uh, uh, understand what you're saying there, Brad Olson. Sue Bradford, let's bring you in. I guess the, a question I'd like to ask Brad is, what would you have done if you'd been in Adrian Wall's shoes today? <laughs> I would have done... I, I mean, interesting, I probably would have done uh, what he did, but I also would have done all of this a lot earlier. Um, I remember quite clearly in 2021, uh, you know, we made a pretty bold call here at Infometrics. We called the decision by the Reserve Bank at the time, which was to take a more mild 25 basis point increase uh, as, as bird-brained and spineless. Now, that was very clearly about the decision, not the people. But we know now that if we'd... Well, certainly the thinking at the moment is that New Zealand's inflation has remind, remained more persistent and a lot higher. You look at the US and the Australia, for example, they're both showing signs of that inflation starting to pull back, and we're not. So based on the data in front of me, I could have come up with either, either decision, that 25 basis point increase that we were expecting or the 50 basis point that the Reserve Bank went with. Certainly, if they're going with that bigger 50, they're not comfortable with how, how well the battle is going, if you will. Oh, right. What about you, Nick? Well, I note that this is uh, an increase that we haven't seen since 2008, so it's been 15 years and since the OCR has been at this level. But I'm interested to know from Brad, how will we know... What, what will happen if this is too much and how long will it take for that to happen, do you think? Because it frustrates me in this instant world we live in that this stuff takes, you know, we, we, we seem to be playing catch-up all the time and you've just indicated that. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, the question that we keep getting asked a lot that, that relates to this is, you know, when will we start to see the effects? And, and, and the, the, the answer there is realistically throughout the entirety of 2023. We know that about half of the mortgage book across the country needs to refix on a higher interest rate at some point this year. Uh, you go back into April last year, you could get a 4% interest rate. Now you're talking 6.5. So already those numbers are, are quite a lot more uncomfortable. You saw reporting out of Centrix yesterday that highlighted uh, that mortgage arrears, the number of people that aren't able to make those repayments have started to rise. But I think really when uh, the way that we will know if we've done too much is, again, only after it's already appeared. That could well see unemployment not only lift higher, but stay higher for longer. Uh, and certainly seeing a, a deeper uh, and longer recession. Um, but at the same time, I guess 
the difficulty we have is we know how intensely painful inflation is at the moment, and the Reserve Bank does have a job to get on with. This, this is a tricky call, and I don't think there's any good options in a sense left. It's uh, will be concerning to some listening to this uh, this afternoon. Brad, I mentioned this uh, yesterday. We talked about this, but you know, even to just take March for job losses. You know, you had at the start of March eight up to, up to eight hundred jobs at zero gone uh, or mooted gone. Sky TV with one hundred and seventy jobs, four hundred and thirty roles X from the warehouse group. You know, today FM uh, Goodman Fielder uh, down the line there. Uh, it's um, it's not looking pretty. That's just one month. That's true, but remember throughout January and February this year we added 1.2 percentage points to employment as well. So, and, and I only say that because I'm not seeing too many businesses at the moment. You, you've listed a few, but we know that there are thousands more jobs in the economy now than there were a year ago. And so I think we've got to be a bit careful with sort of sounding the alarm bells hugely at the moment. It's interesting talking to some businesses I've been going around and I've been highlighting that actually they're still desperately looking for workers. Job ads aren't in the doldrums. They've come back to more normal pre-pandemic levels. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not beholden to the idea that jobs have completely and utterly gone. The unemployment rate is still far lower than the normal tightness. Um, we haven't gone through this entire job loss thing yet. Very good, Brad. Thanks for explaining that. That is Chief Executive and Principal Economist uh, for Infometrics, Brad Olson. Uh, a bit of response coming through regarding uh, Jacinda Ardern, her valedictories today at 5.30pm. Uh, keep in touch with RNZ on the latest on that through Checkpoint. Uh, your discussion regarding Jacinda makes it sound like she inspired love and hatred in equal measure. Ridiculous. She had a huge and has a huge level of popular support, but then was targeted by the lunatic fringe. She will go down in history as our most beloved Prime Minister. Uh, although David Otipoti says, well said Sue Bradford. Strange that positive action on some issues never even attempted any bold moves. And a lot of people are saying, uh, Nick Leggett gives Jacinda Ardern a five? What a cheek. I give Nick a one. Um, well... well <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, that's not an option. <laughs> no, well, it's you're well within your rights to give anybody who you want a five. 26 past four, Sue Bradford, Nick Leggett on the programme this afternoon. Uh, uh, now this, I wanted to... Because we have two politically-minded people on the panel, I thought it time to ask, do culture wars win politicians' votes? Do people in Aotearoa even care. Issues that were brought to a head with the visit of UK activist Posey Parker, everyone weighed in. The language of culture wars was first popularised by the US sociologist James Davison Hunter in the early 1990s to describe the deep-seated tension that had emerged between orthodox and progressive worldviews. It was on display when former Morning Report host Sean Plunkett asked the Prime Minister to define what a woman was. I, to be honest, Sean, that's, that, that question's come slightly out of left field for, for me. Um, the, well, biology, sex, gender, um, people define themselves, people define their own genders. Chris Hipkins there, Sue Bradford, Culture Wars. What do you think? Have you taken notice? I don't think we've got any choice. I find the language of it, I'm still grappling with what exactly culture wars mean. But there's no question that um, the visit of Posey Parker um, drew a deep 
line and quite an interesting one with uh, really demonstrating the massive level of support for the trans community in this country which was also shown up through that Ipsos poll which quite stunningly showed um, um, 88% of New Zealanders thinking that trans folk should be able to live their best lives and only 7% disagreed with that so I think that politicians in this country who for who might be going after something like a, a trans attacking vote are not going to get a lot of votes out of it. That's your destiny, church. Um, I don't know who else. Um, the fewer the better, as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't think this country is as polarised or is anywhere near as polarised on these lines as places like the United States that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and on that, Nick, you know, it's got to a level in the US where there are raging debates now on issues like abortion, multiculturalism, racism, transgender rights uh, is the average voter in New Zealand concerned about culture wars look I think most people I agree with Sue I don't think we're as polarised in New Zealand it's not to say that it isn't an issue I think that COVID and vaccinations and the mandates that we talked about sort of started to drive some groups together that perhaps hadn't been in coalition previously I do think that, for instance, the Posey-Parker issue, uh, it does bring out the extremes. I think most of us are fair and reasonable. I think most of most of us, and Sue's quote of the poll, would back the trans community um, and would, would be pretty appalled at uh, anybody who tried to uh, say that they didn't have a place in our society. But um, for me, often... A culture war, particularly in this country, is around you know the five percent arguing with the three uh, percent at the extremes. Most of us are probably somewhere in the middle and are bewildered. Uh, I actually thought Chris Hipkins' response to that question, um, although politicians apparently should always have the answer, was very genuine. And he probably responded in the way that many people in this country would respond. And actually, it's it's indicative of the fact that we haven't had the same level or intensity or ex- extreme debate and discussion here that I've been reading about in, obviously, the United Kingdom and the United States. But right. It, it, it is. It's some of this is going to come to us, and some of it's going to be unavoidable. And I think that we we have to keep a calm head. Very interesting, both of you. Thank you for that. That's Nick Leggett and Sue Bradford. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Uh, to come, we talk about uh, changes to the, or should there be more changes or other changes to the Official Information Act, and is it working as it should? For now, though, it is time for headlines.